0: Hello, Michael.
1: Oh, hi.
0: Oh, hi. Hello. <sighs> I was just watching Seinfeld waiting for you to come in.
1: Oh, it's so fun. I was just thinking about you and Seinfeld the other day.
0: What, what? what brought those two subjects together in your mind?
1: Okay. I was watching Gilmore Girls, and I was thinking about mm-hmm. how you said you can't watch Gilmore Girls because all the characters in it are bad. Right. But then I was thinking about Seinfeld, and I was like, well all the characters are really bad in Seinfeld, too.
0: Right. I think the real difference with Gilmore Girls is I feel like Gilmore Girls wants me to like them, even when they make bad choices. Like, I don't think Gilmore Girls thinks the characters are perfect, but I think Gilmore Girls ultimately wants you to come away from the show liking the characters, Hmm. And I think Seinfeld and to an even greater extent, like It's Always Sunny, which is like Seinfeld to the thousandth degree is specifically like these people suck. And that's the premise of the show.
1: Huh. I feel like people have a similar had a similar reaction to girls, too.
0: Uh, Yeah. Girls I struggled with because that kind of what now has become a whole genre known as cringe comedy is like. Sometimes it's just too successful. Sometimes the cringe is too powerful.
1: I think it's very interesting that your perception of the intent of the writers of the show, or not just you, I just think it's interesting that people's perception of of the intent of the writers of the show is affecting how they perceive the show. Because on the surface, both Seinfeld and girls and Gilmore Girls are kind of like on long one dimension, all the same thing. It's just bad people messing up in real life.
0: I mean, I described it as being about the intent of what the show wants from me, but really it's certain things about how the shows handle the characters like Gilmore Girls portrays the characters bad choices as like sources of drama and emotion and like, you know, real human goodness. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And Seinfeld does not take that approach to its character's foibles.
1: So you're in the camp of like, I want to watch media that either is making fun of how bad people are or is grappling with more interesting questions where everyone is actually good, but it still leads to bad shit going down. That's more interesting Uh, to you. That's not
0: totally. I mean, the the real problem with Gilmore Girls is that there's so much of it. I mean, as you know, or at least as I think I've said, I did watch I watched like a lot of Gilmore girls. And the problem is that I eventually ran out of sympathy for the characters. Well there's
1: a lot of Seinfeld too. There's even more Seinfeld than Gilmore
0: I know, girls. but Seinfeld is not drawing on my sympathy resources. <laughs> Seinfeld is like, here is just a sweet, delicious bag of candy with no content in it. Not that there's anything wrong with that.
1: Okay. Well I won't I won't try to pin you to the wall and figure out the psychic reasons why you don't like Gilmore girls or <laughs> girls, but I also think this is interesting. It seems like intention of the media creator actually <laughs> does matter. You can't just throw it out the window, people. So all you, you crazy... can
0: throw it out the window. Nope. Nope. Yes, you can. Kava
1: is... Her emotional reactions are proof.
0: <laughs>
1: See what I did there? See what I did there? Yeah,
0: I I do. Oh,
1: <sighs> anyway, yeah. I was just thinking about Seinfeld and you the other day. Which you know, even though you've lost this little battle that we just had, you <laughs> I I know you <laughs> debatable. I know you enough to know that you're happy that someone in the world was thinking about you.
0: <laughs> it's true. I knew I felt a little lift, a little breeze under my wings the <laughs> other day, and that must have been what it was.
1: How are you, Hava? How
0: are you? Oh, great. Is fine i'm a little struggling today i'm a little creaky i'm a little creaky deaky yeah i just am feeling tired my boyfriend has been at his mom's house watching her dog while she is away and my cat in response to this slight change in our living arrangement has taken it as an opportunity to run around the house screaming for the majority of the night.
1: Because your boyfriend isn't
0: around? Just because things are different, I think. He's, like, upped his activity level. You know, he's got to get out his zoomies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I have not been getting enough sleep. And I'm very precious about my sleep. So, I'm feeling a little bit crotchety, but... On the other hand, as you already know, but as listeners are about to find out, I got some good news the other day, which is my surgeon called me Sidebar, an insane part of trans life is how often I've used the phrase my surgeon and how many different people that's described.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was was just thinking of how cute that is. Mm. My
0: personal surgeon, my surgeon called me the other day to say she had a cancellation. And so my surgery has been moved from January to now the 28th of this month, 20 days from today. So it is about to be titty palooza in Hava's life. And I'm about to be very recovering from surgery.
1: Oh, I'm so excited.
0: Me too. I'm very excited. Also, what's contributing to my creakiness is like being stressed out about the logistics. I'm trying to figure out. I feel like her website used to say you need to get a COVID test like 24 hours before surgery. But now I can't find that anymore. So I'm like, do I need to like schedule a PCR test? You know, just there's so many logistics that go into the whole situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's exciting. It's really exciting. I'm so ready to have that checked off my list. And I'm so not ready to recover from surgery. Obviously, it's not going to be as severe recovery as bottom surgery, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be a difficult adventure.
1: I forget. Are they just putting it on top or are they putting it under?
0: So ideally, they'll be putting the implant under the muscle. Okay. All right. Um, a little bit, she'll have to just get in there and make sure that that's possible, but that's the goal.
1: Okay. Wow.
0: Yeah, so it's intense because, you know, they're, like, lifting your pectoral muscle off of what it's attached to and putting something under it. So it can be a challenging procedure to recover from.
1: Wow, I think you might have the largest boobs of my friend group.
0: God willing. God willing.
1: They keep a spreadsheet.
0: That's the goal.
1: Oh, uh, you're going to be, like, such a maternal... You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> I think my You are going to experience that more than anyone else because oh, you're no. all trying to fit people into the mommy box. I'm not. I, that's not true. <laughs> that's literally
1: true. Yeah, it's 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 true. Yeah, everyone needs to be a mom.
0: Looking for mommy in all the wrong places.
1: Uh, yeah, like live <laughs> on the air.
0: Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so it's exciting, but it's also nerve-wracking, and, you know, it's just a lot. I just want to fast forward to that time, get it done, and just, like, be in the recovery. Because I know, you know, when I got bottom surgery, I had never had a major surgery before, and so I didn't really know what I was in for. And now I do know what I'm in for, and not super excited about that element. But at least I will be able to give the gift of my giant titties to the world
1: yeah it's such like a high rate of return because at the end of the day it's just a bag filled with saline
0: no it's a bag filled with silicone in fact it's not even a bag filled with silicone it's like one cohesive piece of silicone like a gummy bear
1: okay so it's like this thing it's not like the hardest thing to manufacture
0: no it's the putting it in there that's the hard part Yeah, it's,
1: the, it's the putting it in, but it's it's like the the, the dividends you gain And the world gains (laughs) from such a rather mundane set of material and relative locations of materials is quite amazing.
0: Yep. It's just my little bit of tikkun olam, you know, repairing the world by repairing (laughs) my own body.
1: Oh, that's funny. That's great. That's great. It's
0: it's, It's a tumultuous time in this household. Michael. Yes. Hi, how are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Speaking of mothers... It's my Mm -hmm. mother's birthday next week. I need to figure out what I'm doing there.
0: What does she want from you for her birthday? Like, what is her expectation?
1: Yeah, what does she want? I don't know.
0: Does she want you to knit her a sweater?
1: I don't know. Maybe she wants a new carburetor or something.
0: (laughs) Whoa. Twist. I didn't see that one coming.
1: I mean, on her, not on her car, you know.
0: (laughs) Oh, because she's a robot.
1: I don't know what my mother wants. Probably grandchildren. She knit me a fourth winter hat, and Grunge Girl a
0: winter hat. Wow, wow! I'm jealous of Grunge Girl. Really, I you already have tons of knit goods from your mom, but I have always wanted a Mama Sokolovski original.
1: I might have to just give you one because I just don't have space. I don't have. I, don't have I one.
0: want one just for me.
1: Oh, yeah. She's made socks and stuff for my friends.
0: I mean, it's fine. I'm not, I I wanted this especially when we were dating. Yeah, And yeah, now yeah. we're not, and it's not reasonable for me to have an expectation that your mother will knit me a garment. Well,
1: I don't think it's unreasonable. I mean, like, my male friend has socks, you know. Mm-hmm. I think even Sam might have a pair of mom socks. But I think my mom's incapable of understanding, like, uh, her son having a relationship with a female that isn't romantic you know i see so like i think in her mind she's like do i make the socks what does that mean
0: if I make the socks? <laughs> what am i saying by making these socks what we say when we make socks by mama Sokolovsky.
1: yeah yeah a grunge girl loves my mom it's like yeah. the best relationship you could have between a girlfriend and a mom because wow because grunge girl gets it she's like oh don't take anything Alina says seriously. Mm-hmm. It's all just like a badly tuned AI that has really good relative pitch, you know. <laughs> but I think I should probably interview her for the show again. I really want to have a little conversation. You never
0: interviewed her for the show, just your dad, right? Oh,
1: right, just my dad. And my dad's so just we're a We're missing dad.
0: half of the collection.
1: Uh, yeah, I know. I think we'd get a lot out of my mom, too, because she's like two standard deviations away from the mom norm, as right. opposed to my dad, who's just like a dad.
0: Classic dad.
1: Yeah, classic, you know, dad, dad. Mm-hmm. But let's see, what else? So I got a hat from my mom. Skeeter's muzzle came in. He looks like a daddy dom when I put it on him. It's leather. <laughs> Great. Oh, it's so That's cute. That's
0: what's really been missing from Skeeter's life.
1: I'll text you a photo right now. What do, you, what do you think of that? Great. Okay, hold on one second.
0: You know what I was cooking in the oven that I had to get up and get out? What? A macaroni and cheese pizza. What? yeah
1: did you get it from antonio's
0: no it's like just digiorno but my boyfriend is really obsessed with these macaroni and cheese pizzas and he went to stop and shop the other day and they were on sale they're normally like six bucks and they were like a dollar 99 so we have like eight macaroni and cheese pizzas in our fridge i love it oh they're very delicious though Wow, yeah. (laughs) Skeeter looks like he's ready to go to Folsom Street Fair.
1: (laughs) I know, it's awesome.
0: He's looking very butch. He's looking very aggrieved, also. (laughs) He's looking very upset. But also, he shouldn't have been so mean to other people and dogs if he wasn't ready for this
1: i'll send you some of these to post on the patron only feed
0: great (laughs) we have we really have to scrounge for patron stuff now that we make these longer episodes
1: yeah that's true what else i don't know that's kind of it i'm a little nervous about this episode yeah because i feel wholly underprepared
0: oh did you prepare anything
1: i have i brought a few texts that i didn't i didn't go into the hebrew hebrew of it all
0: but, but it's okay okay well let's talk about the topic of this episode so today we're continuing our trend of doing whatever we want and being very experimental we are responding to a listener question and also just talking about a random topic when we were planning for this episode we picked this listener question out of the listener question bucket and then michael was like we need something else to talk about and i was like Let's talk about dogs.
1: Yeah, that's accurate. That
0: was just the first noun that came to mind. (laughs) And that's how we got today's episode. And you all are just going to be on that journey with us for good or for ill. Should we start with a question or should we start with dogs?
1: Let's start with the question, which is something I did prepare.
0: Great. It's a two-part question. And the first part is, hello, I have two questions. Does Michael have any interest in playing for Contra Dances again? That's question 1.
1: Okay, all right, all right, all right.
0: Did you prepare an answer for this? Oh, for that. So what do the rabbis say? Uh, I'm like, yeah.
1: Uh, I don't know, maybe. I like playing with my friend Ben
0: of Hi How Are You theme song.
1: Fans. Yes, yes, he wrote the Hi How Are You theme song. We just have a very good um playing and outside of playing relationship and I don't really get along with other people.
0: Uh, Yeah, you don't feel like you could just slot back into the contra dancing scene. You would need like your crew. You would need to get the band back together, literally. Yeah,
1: I mean, we are playing a gig in a year, actually, together. Wow,
0: so. that! how do you have a gig that's planned so far away? Oh,
1: this is like one of the frustrating things about Contradance World. Apparently it wasn't always like this, but slowly people have been booking farther out in advance, especially for uh, mm. more well-known venues, because they get a lot of touring bands, so they they reserve well in advance, and then the only things available are later and later in the year. And so sometimes I get an email that's like, oh, 2023, the summer of 2023 or 2024, do you want to play this dance weekend? Right. right. It's a little ridiculous, but. uh, So
0: the answer is basically like, yes, but only in the perfect circumstances.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd organize a dance. I used to organize dances back in California. I was one of the people who put together the gender free dance in Berkeley, which was kind of neat. Mm hmm. I guess people don't know what gender free dancing is, but it's just contra dancing with gender free terminology that people use. Right.
0: Because contra dancing is naturally gendered in its, in its wild environment. It's It comes gendered.
1: And full disclosure, I wasn't hip or anything at the time. Like, I really didn't care about that, but I just wanted, like, my friends to go. Mm hmm. Just like, come to the Friday night dance, people.
0: You'll do anything to lure people into a contra dance. Mm
1: hmm. Mm hmm.
0: Okay. We have our answer to part one. Part two of this question is just, what does the Talmud have to say about dancing? Yes. So you said you prepared this part. So tell me something that you prepared first.
1: Okay. I'm going to give you the high level summary. Okay. Dancing, typically pretty good. There's times where it's not appropriate. Mm -hmm. It's neutral. Really, dancing is neutral. There's times to do it and times not to do it. I did learn you're not allowed to dance on Shabbat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I brought a little something about that too.
1: But I will just bring you a little Agada that okay. um, I found in Mishnah Tana'it 4. I'm just reading from the William Davidson translation.
0: Classic.
1: Timeless classic. Rabban Shimon Ben Gamal said, There were no days as joyous for the Jewish people as the 15th of Av and as Yom Kippur as on them the daughters of Jerusalem would go out in white clothes, which each woman borrowed from one another. Mm -hmm. Why were they borrowed? They did so as not to embarrass one who did not have her own white garments. All the garments that the women borrowed required immersion, as those who previously wore them might have been ritually impure. And the daughters of Jerusalem would go out and dance in the vineyards. And what would they say, young man... Please lift up your eyes and see what you choose for yourself, for a wife. Do not set your eyes toward beauty, but set your eyes toward a good family. As the verse states, grace is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised from Proverbs. And it gives some more quotes and further quotes and further quotes, but that's the basic idea.
0: Okay, well, let me just add on a little bit some other stuff that the women would say okay which i thought was really great i did bring some of that in a different place in in tana 831a we read one who did not have a wife would turn there to find one it is taught that those women of distinguished lineage among them would say young man please lift up your eyes and see what you choose for a wife the sages taught this practice in greater detail in a barata what would the beautiful women among them say Set your eyes towards beauty, as a wife is only for beauty. What would the distinguished lineage among them say? Set your eyes towards family, as a wife is only for children, and the children of a wife from a distinguished family will inherit her lineage. And what would the ugly ones among them say? Acquire your purchase for the sake of heaven, provided that you adorn us with golden jewelry after our marriage to beautify us. (laughs) So, had to get that in the mix.
1: That's, That's pretty good.
0: Okay, yeah, so this is, you brought this Mishnah about this wonderful lesser practiced although regaining popularity jewish holiday often referred to as tuba of jewish valentine's day
1: I love it. I had no idea.
0: The original slut walk. We, we,
1: yes, it's it's very May Day. It's very, <laughs> let's go off and have a romp in the woods after we right. do the Maypole. It's very cool, right. except it's in the fall, I guess.
0: No, it's in the summer.
1: Oh, it's in the summer?
0: It's right around Tishba'af time.
1: Oh, Tishba'af. But it's, oh, 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 but you're talking about the 15th of Av, but it also says weirdly on Yom Kippur.
0: Oh, uh, you're right. I, I didn't remember that part from the Mishnah that you read.
1: Which is totally wild right you know there's four jewish new years there's two valentine's day at least at least two valentine's
0: day people need a lot of opportunities to find a wife
1: i do love it it's very cinematic all these you know available ladies all in white
0: Mm -hmm. you know what it also reminds me of is like a debutante situation
1: (laughs) yes it's very debutante that's,
0: They're that's making true. their societal debut at Tubaov.
1: Yeah. Can you do it more than once, though? I think you can do it more than once.
0: Yeah, I think you can, you know, go out and troll the fields for as long as it takes to catch a husband.
1: I think it says it happens in the eve. Does it say it happens in the eve? In the vineyard? Do they dance? Um, in? What time of day is this happening? I don't
0: know, but that feels like the time it should be is in the eve.
1: Totally. Totally. But yeah, just a bunch of women all dressed in, you know, white you know, flowy gingham gowns, I guess, Mm -hmm. just dancing ferociously.
0: Right, which I guess one sort of background thing this implies to us is at least one kind of dancing that people were thinking about in the Talmud was like dancing that is very sexy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very seductive, which also I can't believe I didn't even bring this. But remember that one time you brought a sugya about someone who's, like, paid to be a dancer inside yes. a wine shop? Yes,
1: yeah, it was from Kama. It was a sugya about different types of damages and financial obligations right. on the damager's part. So there's, like, damage that causes you physical pain, and then the, the actual cost of the healing, and then the cost of the lost wages. And, yeah, they were trying to think of a situation where someone would... I think suffer all of those... Mm-hmm. Uh, would, ha- would have a rightful claim to all of those, and they came up with, like, a dancer who, like...
0: Dances at the wine shop.
1: Yeah, where like, a depilatory... De- what's the thing that removes hair from yeah, the Yeah, depilatory. Yeah, depilatory was, like, applied to their head, and they didn't have sexy hair anymore.
0: <laughs> right, right. This really, now I'm imagining, right, we have all the women of the Jewish community going out to dance sexually for husbands. We have sexy dancers in the wine shop This is really giving me a picture of, like, Babylon and Jerusalem as sort of, like, Tatooine in Star Wars or, like, any Star Wars universe where there's just, like, always a sexy alien doing a dance. Just, like, in every scene in the background, I feel like there's at least one sexy alien on a pole dancing. (laughs) And that's now how I'm imagining those places.
1: Imagine if we didn't have the internet. Think about how exciting just seeing anyone dance would have been. Oh,
0: my God. I know. Imagine you walk out. You don't know about Tubov yet, and you walk out and you see just a crowd of, of ladies dancing in the fields?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that would excite me now, you know? Yeah. And I can just go look that up online, <laughs> you know?
0: Right. Hey Google, search for crowd of women dancing in the fields in borrowed white dresses. Google is now doing this on my phone.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean you can go and do that and it's still exciting and imagine if you couldn't. Yeah, I feel like also Tanakh has a lot of sexy dancing, like being seduced by, you know, right. the, the bad folks and then,
0: you know, mm-hmm. worshipping
1: idols because of it and then God gets right. mad at because you. because of their
0: sexy dancing.
1: So, dancing is definitely considered very powerful.
0: Also, this feels very gay. Anytime people of the same gender are dancing with each other, which is like a big part of Jewish culture, uh, is very gay. And that's part of what makes Jews so gay.
1: Yes. (laughs) Naturally. Lots of gayness. Oh, oh, oh. I had another thing I brought. Okay. I wonder if you also... Hold on one second. Hold on a second. This might take me a second.
0: Do-do-do-do-do. Do-do-do-do. Hey. do 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 do, do, do. Do, Do-do-do. <laughs> I made that my town song in my most recent Animal Crossing Island. <laughs> oh,
1: that's good. I like that. I'm on season three.
0: Ugh, that song isn't it so haunting?
1: It's so haunting. It's so good. We're, we're talking about the community recurring yes. theme song.
0: Yes, it's called like Daybreak, Daylight. I looked it up.
1: Okay, I can't find this, but maybe you're going to bring it. It's about dancing that happens in the world to come.
0: Is that what I'm going to bring? Well, let me just read. This is from a little further down on Ta'anit 31a. Ullah in the city of Bira said that Rabbi Elazar said in the future in the end of days, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will oh, arrange yeah. a dance of the righteous and yes. he will be sitting among them in the Garden of Eden and each one and every one of the righteous will point to God with his finger and it shall be said on that day, behold, this is our God for whom we waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we waited. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. God will be revealed so that every righteous individual will be able to say this is our God as though they were pointing at him with a finger yep so so much for our fucking transcendent conceptions of god from last week out the window no we're
1: pointing directly at him he's sitting there he's
0: literally there sitting in a chair he's just a dude
1: this is an interesting scene the image that comes to mind is some shot from like a biopic movie where like two really successful now iconic musicians are at a decadent party pointing at each other going like you man no you (laughs) man (laughs) We did it. We're like at the top. We
0: did it. We made it, dude.
1: Yeah, we made it, you know, right before it all falls apart. You know what I'm talking about.
0: So, so far, Talmud, pretty positive on dance. Yes. In the appropriate conditions.
1: Very positive on dance. Very positive so far.
0: So, part of what was haunting me in this question. Mm-hmm. was if the Talmud is so positive about dance in these cases how do we end up living in a Jewish culture where like fear of mixed dancing is such a meme one of the greatest Jewish memes of all time
1: <laughs> yeah 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 well you know we can't be touching you know <laughs> the ladies
0: or the You're, gentlemen right well but but why but why can't we be touching the ladies so i went looking around to find some stuff about this and one of the reasons i found just like a lot of people popularly answered this question as was basically if you're at a jewish function only the married people could dance cross gender which is already you know debatable and then some portion of those married people would be unable to dance with each other because some of them would be having their nita time like some Uh... people would be on or near their periods and so if you organize dancing basically you're like creating social pressure for people to do something they're quote not supposed to do or you're making them feel weird and left out and sad at what should be a happy occasion
1: right and like it's supposed to be very private if you're going through nita is that what it is
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think a lot of, like, mikvahs, you don't really know where they are unless you need to know where they are, and you mm-hmm. go at night. You could see it as shame, you know, like, oh, it's shameful for the mm-hmm. women to have have their period. Or you could see it as just, that's where they draw one of their lines of bodily privacy. So, you don't want to put yourself in a situation where that becomes indirectly exposed because you're the only married person not dancing.
0: Right. So... That's one of the reasons that was given. Although I feel like the popular idea of sort of like widespread fear of mixed dancing is probably not related to that. It's more related to the sort of licentiousness attached to the concept of mixed dancing. But I was trying to find some good resources for issues with touch and like how did this prohibition arise? And one of the sukyas that's connected to this prohibition against men and women touching comes from brachot 61a the sage is taught that one who counts money for a woman from his hand to her hand in order to look upon her even if he has accumulated torah and good deeds like moses our teacher he will not be absolved from the punishment of gehenna as it is stated hand to hand the evil man shall not go unpunished
1: wait wait you can't pay to just go and look at pretty people
0: Well, here's the trajectory, and here's what I think the Sugya is saying. Like, imagine, and this is, like, so relatable and also a really frustrating memory from when I worked at Starbucks. Suppose you are a Babylonian rabbi at the Babylonian equivalent of Starbucks and you need to pay your Babylonian barista for your Babylonian latte and you make a point when you pay her of like not just setting the money on the counter or dropping it into her hand but like making contact with her hand in order to have basically like a lustful experience for yourself during this social interaction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and. To to draw her closer. Uh, which was really like such a thing. There was a time period in my life when I was working at Starbucks where I was like, what would it be like for me to be Shomer Nagia, which would mean like not being touched by any men who were like not my husband. And I was working at Starbucks and I was just like experimenting with this idea. And so I was trying, I would try so hard to get people to give me their money without hand contact and men would go so out of their way to make it a touch-based experience, uh, which I wouldn't have really thought of before I tried this. But it like turned out to be so almost impossible to sort of non-verbally signal to people that I just wanted the money to be like dropped onto my hand or set on the counter. So I think the trajectory of the halakha here is... If you do this, you know, you're punished in Gehenna for all eternity, according to this Surya and So, because this is about intention, this is about touching her in order to look upon her, and because we're not always in control of our intentions, we should avoid man-woman touching all the time because we might accidentally touch someone for lustful purposes without intending to and condemn ourselves to eternal punishment in Gehenna.
1: Okay, okay. So this claims the existence of an unconscious, at least the way you're describing it.
0: The way I'm describing it, yeah. Okay. I'm not sure the rabbis are making any such claims. I think the rabbis would put it more in phrases like, what if he should accidentally come to touch her for the purpose of looking on her?
1: Interesting. Does that mean he didn't realize he wanted to look at her and he accidentally touched her or he accidentally touched her while he realized that he was looking at her?
0: I don't know. But I think the point of the rabbis would be that ambiguity, right, is the point. Is if you just make a blanket rule for yourself of zero touch all the time, then you're never having to figure out which one of those is gonna send you to Gehenna for all eternity.
1: Uh huh. Uh huh. That's okay. the whole
0: deal with fences around the Torah.
1: Uh-huh. I'm I'm kind of into the idea of this is all as a way of protecting the privacy of the women.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an appealing idea.
1: It is very appealing. Very school of fish. You know, putting aside whether or not you think we should be living in a society where we should all, like, wear big hats that say we're on our period when we're on our period. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel
0: like
1: <laughs> I feel like that wouldn't fly for similar reasons why it wouldn't fly to be ashamed of your period. Current social norms. We need something in between where you're not forced to wear a hat when you're on your period, but you're not forced to keep it right. a secret either.
0: I definitely don't want to move to a world where people are forced to wear hats for any reason.
1: No, no, no. We don't want forced hat. We don't unless want that's what you're rule. into. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, so yeah so that's like sort of one of the genesis genesis of the mixed dancing issue and of the whole idea of being shomer nagia has to do with this little halacha so that's one of the main things i brought about dance is just like talmud pretty positive about dance overall and definitely speaks to a culture where dance was like happening a lot and in a lot of different contexts that We probably wouldn't see it in Jewish communities today. And like, this is one of the ways that change came about.
1: I feel like dancing is just not, I don't know, maybe I don't dance, but is dancing like a thing? Has the historical dancing interest in dance gone down over the last like 4,000 years? I don't think so. You don't think so? no people are into dancing still with the same Yeah,
0: people still go out dancing
1: yeah people still go out dancing i don't know I, i'd love to You
0: say this as someone who literally has professionally played for a dance community i don't
1: know maybe just because i live in like the congregationalist dominated waspy new england where everyone mm-hmm. is like afraid of dancing And thinks dancing is something you do if you're, like, worshipping the devil, you know?
0: Right, which it is.
1: I don't know, maybe Puritans could dance. Probably not. Sam, can Puritans dance?
0: Sam, friend of the show, come on and tell us if Puritans were allowed to dance. I
1: don't think they can. But I think, like, dancing, at least where I live, is, like, a weird, it's, like, a sign of, like, you're, like, insane. In Russia, if you smile at strangers, that's considered you're crazy. I feel mm. like in New England if you dance
0: if you express joy in any way. Yeah,
1: you're it's crazy. It's basically very, very similar. Yeah. But yes, dancing. There you go. That's what that's All right. dancing.
0: We're putting a cap on dancing. Please turn your tape to side B <laughs> to hear <laughs> to hear the chapter about dogs. Topic two. The topic I randomly came up with, probably because it starts with the same letter as dancing. And of which there is a lot to say because Jews, especially Orthodox Jews, are sort of stereotyped as not liking dogs. Are you familiar with this stereotype, Michael? Well,
1: I've heard a stereotype that uh, Jews, I didn't know if it was Orthodox Jews or if it was Jews generally are not into dogs. And I I hear there was like maybe a, a Holocaust relationship there.
0: Yeah, that's too, too popular explanations i found on the internet was institutional slash cultural memory from the holocaust and another one which i hadn't thought of a practical issue was questions about having to break shabbat in order to clean up or walk a pet that is not necessary for sustenance
1: oh that's interesting
0: if you have a dog there might be dog duties literally you have to take care of on Shabbat that, like, if you're of a certain frame of mind, might pose a, a halachic issue.
1: I do feel like th- there is something not Jewish about owning. I, I don't know <laughs> if I want to say it. I don't know if I want to say it. I have a dog. I love dogs. Dogs are the best.
0: Right. Well, here's my question for you, Michael. Yeah. Is Skeeter Jewish?
1: Uh, he's anxious.
0: <laughs> okay, so uh, that's at least one point in the Jewish column.
1: Uh is he jewish? I don't know. Uh no, he's just a really good friend. He's not jewish. He's, he's not, not jewish, jewish.
0: He's my friend.
1: He's not jewish. He's just he's just a dog. He's just a dog.
0: Okay. Good. I'm glad we answered that important canonical question. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm sorry. I'm trying to answer it honestly, and not not ju- not just joke around about. It. It's a serious Right.
0: <laughs> not joke around about such a serious issue as your dog's jewish identity your dog
1: the grunge girl can hear everything i'm saying right now i'm not gonna mm-hmm. say that skeeter's jewish you know
0: <laughs> so what you're saying is that skeeter is secretly jewish but you just don't want to say it in front of your girlfriend
1: well she can't hear your side of the conversation because i'm wearing headphones right now so yes
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh i hope she hears this episode
1: no grunge girl's catholic and catholicism I think Catholicism is actually a type of Judaism.
0: Well, yeah, I've often I've often suggested that it's the most Jewish Christianity, for sure. Point one, hats. Point two, guilt. I rest my case. <laughs> okay, so classic little suya I brought off to start with about dogs. Uh, I brought quite a bit of stuff for dogs. But one little bit that I really enjoy is from Pesachim 113a, where we read, Rav le Rav Asi. So, Rav said to Ravasi, don't live in a city where horses do not neigh and where dogs do not bark.
1: Oh, yes, I have read the Sugi before.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think part of what I like about this is just it's fun and it's sort of confusing if you take into account the Sugi as we're about to talk about later, but also just like... Reminds me that in Babylonian world and in many other times and places, including many places now, dogs are just like an ambient force, an ambient presence, you know, like people don't necessarily have dogs. There just are dogs around.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. You
0: know, which is not so much the case in... A lot of places in the U.S.
1: If I didn't have the same sensibilities of animal cruelty that I currently have, I'd be so into dogs just being everywhere.
0: Right. I'd be into dogs being everywhere if they were, like, plentifully taken care of, you know? Yeah, yeah. If they were having a good time being everywhere.
1: Yeah, I think in my future, Utopia, we're going to have that arrangement.
0: I don't know. Kind of interesting to think about. There are these sort of levels of non-human life in our lives and they go in a gradient like you can be living totally like surrounded by plants and animals you can be living in a village where it's like there's a lot of livestock and wild animals and plants around you can be living in a town where there's just like ambient dogs and horses and probably less plants And then you can go all the way down to like living as I do now in a suburb of Rhode Island where there's like minimal animal and plant life present. Just interesting to think about the rabbis on that continuum and just like about what a persistent force dogs are throughout history.
1: Yeah, dogs. They're there. They're there. They're there. I love them. Wait, but what's the reason given about why you shouldn't live?
0: Uh, Well, the suggestion in the translation is because these animals with their noises like alert people to danger, which is a question we'll have to interrogate as we continue. And there's some other really funny stuff in this. Do not live in a city where the mayor is a doctor and do not marry two women as they will likely join forces against you. And if you do marry two women, marry a third one. That way the third one will inform you of the plots of the first two.
1: Oh, that's nice. That's good. That's good. Yeah.
0: So, you know, some really great, healthy polyamory advice from the rabbis.
1: I love it. I love it. That's the answer that we have for the listener who wrote in months ago about whether or not polyamory is Jewish. Right. The answer is yes, just you need to have three partners. One or At three. Least. You need to have odd numbers of partners. <laughs>
0: Right. So that you can always play them off of each other.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right.
0: You wouldn't want them to be able to form an alliance. (laughs) Here's some more fun folklore about dogs. First, from Beitza 25 d Rabbi Shimon Ben Lakish said, There are three impudent ones. The Jewish people among the nations, the dog among the animals, and the rooster among birds. And some people say also the goat amongst the small cattle, and also the caper bush amongst the trees. Oh. So basically, there are like uh, three species who stand out in their category as being especially rude. And these are Jews, Jews. dogs, roosters, goats, and caper bushes. <laughs>
1: uh okay yeah wow i mean
0: i do feel like dogs definitely that resonates for me dogs are shameless although i feel like we've already talked about the cat being an example of modesty in a different podcast episode but i do feel like cats are also incredibly impudent you know they'll just like annihilate some shit in your house and look at you like yeah what i did that what are you gonna fucking do about it
1: i love the self-awareness of them mm-hmm. saying yeah you know we kind of don't really respect other groups of people i guess they don't claim that it's a bad trait what's the do you know the word they use in hebrew for impudent
0: i didn't i didn't bring the full original for this one
1: okay all right but it is very interesting that's a very self-aware claim to make i feel like dogs are very well i don't know of other animals the
0: one that's most confusing to me is the caper <laughs> bush what is the caper bush doing that's that's impudent?
1: I don't know. It's like scraggly and small and I yeah. don't know. Something about that. Fuck
0: is... caper bushes. Yeah. I don't Googling know. Googling caper bush right now. Yeah.
1: What does a caper bush even look like? It
0: has beautiful flowers. So, slut.
1: Yeah. It's a slut. Slutty bush.
0: That's issue one. I don't know. Just seems pretty great to me. Uh,
1: I, I can see. It, it, it looks like a scrubby...
0: Oh yeah, It looks like maybe it grow. It like
1: likes the sand, It's kind of.
0: Yeah, you know, sand and impudence are just go hand in hand.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it's yeah, it's weird. It's weird.
0: Okay, so more dog folklore from Brachot Three A. The signs of transition between each of the watches, each of the periods of the night, can be sensed in the world. In the first watch, the donkey brays. In the second, dogs bark. In the third, people begin to rise a baby nurses from its mother's breast and a wife converses with her husband. So this is just a quick little bit of folklore that basically says like the metaphysical transitions between celestial time periods can be coordinated to different parts of the night. And the way the rabbis know when those parts of the nights are, are in the first one, donkeys are braying. In the second one, the dogs are barking. And in the third one, people are having pillow talk slash nursing their babies.
1: Do we know anything about what happens celestially during the dog barking time
0: that is beyond my level of kabbalistic expertise but it's good to know that the dogs are uh, a magical alarm
1: yep Yep, That's good. That's good.
0: So this is where we're really starting to get into the stuff that will problematize the issue of living in a place where dogs don't bark. So Vavakama 6b, this one I've talked about on the show before, the sages taught if dogs in a certain place are crying for no reason, it's a sign they feel the angel of death has come to the city. If the dogs are playing, it's a sign they feel Elijah the prophet has come to the city. These matters apply only if there is no female dog among them. If there is a female dog nearby, their crying or playing is likely due to her presence.
1: Right. I've read this look before. So if they're barking without reason.
0: Angel of death.
1: Angel of death. Okay. Hmm.
0: And if they're playing for no reason.
1: (laughs) Elijah is coming.
0: Elijah. So already Mm -hmm. a little bit of a, a hitch in the issue of living in a place where dogs don't bark because it would sort of seem like you don't want to live in a place where dogs bark, because that might mean the angel of death is around a lot.
1: When is an unusual time? Like, when can one say that a dog is barking for no reason versus not? Maybe you want to live in a town that has a lot of dogs, and the dogs have reasons to bark. So, I don't know, there's a lot of, like mailman in the town too or something
0: else (laughs) right
1: so you hear lots of barks but like the vast majority of the barks can be attributed to a very clear cause i think that's maybe your work around if you actually wanted to use this as a way of figuring out where you should live personally i would just suggest getting the cheapest rent you can find
0: (laughs) now our our rabbit hole about dog dog barking continues and this has to do with some drashes on a verse exodus eleven seven. but not a dog shall snarl at the israelites at human or beast in order that you may know hashem makes a distinction between egypt and israel so this is basically when the final plague as part of the whole exodus situation is happening which is the death of the firstborn
1: did you say plague plague Oh my god, it's a plague. Plague. Plague, okay. Plague. Continue, continue.
0: When the final plague (laughs) is happening, God, I hate you. (laughs) Um, Basically, we hear that there shall be a loud cry in all the land of Egypt, such as never has been or ever will be again, which is very epic and probably has a bunch of cool midrash all on its own. But after that, we hear that dogs will not snarl at the Israelites. And... We read from this fun little book called Siddikat Hatzadik, which let me pull up the time period on that. Siddikat Hatzadik, which is basically a big, beefy book of the thoughts of Rav Tzadok, who was hanging around between 1845 and 1895, who was writing this in that period. We read it was customary for the dogs to bellow at midnight as midnight was a time when the watches changed, as we know from the Talmud. When the Israelites made ready to leave, each one with his walking stick in his hand, these watchdogs did not raise their voices in protest and gave no alarm. So basically, Rav Tzadok is making the case here that what's up with this verse is God was basically doing a side miracle within the main miracle, which is that normally the dogs would have barked and alerted everyone to the Israelite exodus, but the dogs did not bark which helped the people of Israel get out in secret in the middle of the night.
1: That totally relates to the angel of death thing, too.
0: Well, that's a guy got even fucking more to say. Okay. This one really, I was surprised to read. The Khatam Sofer, in his commentary on the Torah, on this Parsha, said, Our sages said, if Eliyahu is in the city, the dogs will laugh and play. And if the angel of death is in the city, they will cry. It is written, I will strike down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt. I, and not some delegate. And for that reason the dogs didn't cry. The Israelites realized that all the firstborn of Egypt were killed, and the dogs did not cry, and it was by this that they recognized that it was God and God's glorious self who struck them and not the angel of death.
1: Oh, Okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay, so God is the one that killed the Egyptian firstborns, not the angel of death. If it was the angel of death, the dogs would have been crying.
0: Well, that is what the Khantam Sofer has to say, and what he believes. I was always sort of brought up believing that it was the Malachamave, the angel of death, who did the killing in the plagues. And I was really confused by reading this take from the Khatam Sofer. And now I'm just sort of left still with the mystery of like, which one really was it?
1: Well, if the Hatam Sofer is right, like assuming he's right, then now I'm thinking about the earlier advice of you shouldn't live in a city where the dogs don't bark. Right. And I'm thinking, well, is that because you don't want to live in a city where the dogs aren't barking when you think they should be barking? Because that means that God is coming to kill everyone potentially? Is it like a weird symbolic reference, you know, to yeah,
0: see, this is what this is why I felt like it it really has like thrown a wrench in everything. Like basically, like my understanding of the Exodus story, my understanding of the dogs not barking. I'm left with just sort of like a mess of folk knowledge that doesn't add up to anything very conclusive because, yeah, like you said, if you live somewhere where the dogs aren't barking, that could mean that God is coming around and doing all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Or it could just mean the angel of death is not coming around.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I guess just be careful out there.
0: Everyone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> If you hear a dog bark or you hear a dog not bark, could mean anything. Yes. But if dogs are playing, that seems like definitely good.
1: Yeah. Psychologically, the best approach would be if you hear a dog bark, try as hard as you can to think of a good reason why the dog is barking in that moment.
0: Right. And if you think of it, then you'll be secured.
1: Yes. And if the dog doesn't bark, then similarly, think of a good reason why it is not barking.
0: So basically, you should at all times be thinking of reasons why dogs are or aren't barking. And that's the only thing that should ever occupy your mind.
1: Assuming you live in an area with dogs... Which you should, especially... If they bark. If they bark, yep.
0: Great. Glad we can come to the Talmud for such helpful and clear life advice. Also, a, a random little tale on all of this is that Rav Sadok comes to tell us that dog in Gamatria, which is Kelev in Hebrew is the same as Eliyahu. Specifically, it's the same as Eli. They have the same gematria value. The numeric value of their letters adds up to the same, which is 34, which is the same as the value for Eli. And Rav Sadok says it's for within the dog is the stubbornness of holiness, just like Eliyahu.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
0: So a lot of different takes on dogs. None quite as uh, anti-dog as the stereotype. About Jews and dogs, although there definitely is some stuff in the Talmud that basically presumes that dogs are of a destructive and vicious nature. So there's definitely, it's not all as fantastical as this.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I love the dog barking, dog not barking stuff related to the angel of death or yeah. God or, or whoever uh, doing the killing thing. But it's very spooky. It's very mm-hmm. spooky. It feels very Victorian haunted yeah story to
0: me. like a sherlock holmes situation mm-hmm. out of the baskervilles
1: yeah yeah situation. Exactly. i like that that's very nice
0: yeah and also just like it's fun slash mystical for me to think about like what would my life be like if i experienced all natural phenomena as potential omens
1: yeah yeah well we're 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 now living in the generation where that gets to happen again i guess
0: i guess we'll see Um, uh that's
1: a global
0: warming (laughs) that's a global warming warming joke for all you global warming fans out there
1: (laughs) yeah
0: uh we love the fan service
1: (laughs) uh uh, you did get that it was i'm gonna i'm gonna just cut out me explaining that's what it is and just leave no i think
0: the explanation was great (laughs) Oh,
1: okay All all right
0: oh my goodness what a fun journey this has been dancing through the dog lands
1: yeah, I love it. Did you find anything about dancing dogs? I didn't.
0: No, no dancing dogs that I could discover, sadly. All right. Well, that's okay. Wow. My, oh, how was this episode? Did it live up to your nervousness?
1: Thanks for holding my hand through it. I really like that. <laughs> no, it was great. It was fun. Great. Oh, 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 I will say this. Not related to dancing, but it was like peripheral. In my search okay. for dancing, there was this interesting piece of midrash that I found. Okay. Every day... The moon and the sun beg God, asking God not to, like, have to rise and do their job.
0: Oh, no!
1: Because they don't want to look upon the sin of humanity.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And God's like, no. No, you gotta
0: do it, bud.
1: So then they do it, and then they they get tired because they see all the sins of humanity, and then the sun gets red because it's, like, red with you know something bad yeah yeah and then it sinks below the
0: horizon relatable every day i also wake up wishing not to witness the sins of humanity but luckily unlike the sun i have the option not to log on to twitter
1: (laughs) yeah that's true (laughs) uh yeah it was just such a great great little fucking midrash yeah that's a great finisher let's uh let's let's close them out
0: thank you for coming along on this textual sexual journey with us listeners we hope you will continue to enjoy if you're able to we would love for you to support the show by joining our patreon at patreon.com slash hi how are you we hope you're continuing to enjoy these long episodes next week who knows what we're gonna do and we will talk to you all soon shavuato
1: shavuato (laughs)